We had very positive feedback and there was huge demand for our bond. It's relatively easy. Um, it's only a matter of doing a supplemental listing. More liquidity may lead to better terms for the next round. Launch a green bond to confirm our commitment to ESG. Welcome to the Exchange Feed podcast series. I'm your host, Burke Suman, head of company services based in Calgary. Today's recording is about green bonds. And to discuss these debt instruments geared towards sustainability are Cecilia Williams, Executive Vice President and Chief Financial Officer at Allied Real Estate Investment Trust. Cecilia was instrumental in the recent launch of Allied's first green bond. And our very own Valerie Duville, Senior Manager, Compliance and Disclosure at the TMX Group. Valerie has been at the exchange for more than 13 years. In her role, she advises listed issuers and companies contemplating a listing on TSX or TSX Venture on corporate governance considerations and timely disclosure issues. Welcome to both of you. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you. Before we uh, start discussing the details of green bonds, I just want to give our listeners a brief overview of what they actually are. So green bonds have been around a little over a decade now with the World Bank issuing the first green bond for institutional investors in 2009. Since then, the growth we've seen in sustainable bonds, including green bonds, has been astronomical. As per Bloomberg, last year, there was over 700 billion of sustainable bonds issued, of which over 300 billion were green bonds. A green bond is a type of fixed income instrument. The proceeds are specifically designed to be used for environmental projects. In other words, these bonds are designed to finance projects aimed at things like energy efficiency, pollution prevention, and sustainable development and construction. Speaking of sustainable development, like many real estate investment trusts, Allied just last month announced the closing of a 600 million green bond offering. Cecilia, perhaps you can start off by briefly walking us through the process you took. Absolutely. We've always been committed to ESG and from the beginning in the late 80s, we've been adaptively reusing older industrial structures. With the heightened sensitivity to ESG, we felt it was time to, you know, articulate our commitment and issuing a green bond is, is part of articulating our commitment. So we started late last year by developing a green financing framework and we had our bankers help us with that and the framework really identifies the eligible investments and outlines the use of proceeds, the process for evaluation and selection, the management of the proceeds as well as the allocation and the impact reporting that follows. And then the step after that was to decide who would be providing an opinion of our framework which is the final step before launching a bond. I'm glad you mentioned framework because uh, that's something that I do want to talk to you about in a bit more detail later on in the podcast. It sounds like the decision to issue a green bond was made um, because uh, you wanted the you know attraction of investors that may be looking to to invest in Ally, maybe through an ESG lens. Was that one of the advantages that that you considered, and were there any other uh, advantages associated with with the issuance? Perhaps perhaps a lower borrowing rate. 
So it's interesting. I've been asked that question quite a bit. There isn't or there wasn't in the case of our inaugural green bond, there wasn't a pricing advantage. It was actually the same pricing as not doing a green bond. And we were never pursuing it for a pricing advantage. We were we were wanting to launch a green bond to confirm our commitment to ESG, particularly, you know, the S, the social aspect of it. I think a lot more debt investors, bond investors are perhaps getting a green mandate, let's say. And so our bond would have been attractive to them. And perhaps they maybe upped their demand by five to 10%, but there was certainly, there, there wasn't an advantage on our end from a pricing perspective. And how did the uh, market react to it uh, after you issued the bond? Was there, was there uptick in the share price? Did you have a lot of positive feedback from, from the street? We had very positive feedback and there was huge demand for our bond. We were over 4.4 times oversubscribed for, so for us, our $600 million bond, there was about two and a half billion of demand, which is amazing. We ended up having the bond being allocated to 75 investors. And of those 75 investors, 20 of them were new to our name. So that was, that was fantastic for us to have new institutional investors committing to our bond program. That's incredible. You know, two thirds new institutional investors uh, coming in and uh, what an accomplishment for, for a debt instrument. Um, can you speak a little bit about who the major um, investors were? And, you know, I know you said 25 were new. This, this obviously helped you diversify your institutional ownership base, I'm guessing. Absolutely. Our, the top four existing investors were, were TD Asset Management, BCIMC, Desjardins and RBC. And the top two of the top uh, 20 new investors included Fidelity and Fiera. Wow, some, uh, some very important names there. Um, let's switch gears a bit now and talk about listing bonds from the exchange point of view. Valerie, can you talk about the advantages you see from your point of view for listing a bond on the uh, exchange? Uh, yeah, sure. So from, from our, our point of view, listing a bond uh, on TSX um, would provide for more visibility on the bonds and it would also provide liquidity on the bondholders because once, you, once the bond is listed then it's freely tradable. Um, but we suspect that more liquidity may lead to better terms for the next round on, on, of, of bounds of debt issuing. Absolutely. I know that, um, you know, the, the interest rates that uh, Cecilia talked about weren't any different, but I do think that, like you said, you know, that increased liquidity perhaps in the future can lead uh, to, to more favorable rates. Um, if an issuer wanted to list the green bond or any fixed income instrument uh, on, on the TSX, what are the steps they need to take? For, for an, uh, an issuer that's already listed on the exchange, it's relatively easy. Um, it's only a matter of doing a supplemental listing. So supplemental listing is is just issuing a, a series of, um, 
of uh, security that's not already listed or not, not already um, trading. So it's just a matter of um, filing an application letter um, with the preliminary prospectus. The, the idea of the prospectus, of course, there are prospectus exemptions and there's other ways um, to list, but the idea of doing it by way of, of prospectus is to avoid, to um, allow for that uh, freely tradable that was talking uh, earlier. Um, and um, and also uh, in terms of, of requirements, I mean, for debt, it's not as stringent as other securities. Like for example, uh, we would likely not impose minimum public distribution requirements as long as the market value of the outstanding bond is at least $2 million. So it's not a cumbersome process for, uh, for listed issuers. Right, that definitely makes it easier for listed issuers. Now, in terms of the listing fees, if an issuer is already listed and they want to list uh, a green bond or other uh, fixed income securities, are those listing fees different? Are they lower? Yeah, so um, in November, TSX lowered the fees for for listing fixed income securities. Um, so, so that's obviously for issuers that already have securities listed on on TSX, um, because we TSX charges for additional listing fees um, for um, supplemental listing, but we lowered those for fixed income securities. So the idea was to ensure that issuers that are issuing shorter term debt are not paying dramatically higher fees. So if you look on our on our website uh, in the listing um, in the listing fee schedule, you'll see that those fees were lowered. Yeah, I mean lower fees definitely um, help with 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 listing additional fixed income securities. Is the listing based on the, the size of the like is the listing fee based on the size of the of the issuance? Or how how is that calculated? Yeah, so 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 there's a base fee uh, plus a variable fee rate based on the listing capitalization. Gotcha. Good to know, um, Cecilia. Let's switch back to you now to get more details on some some key steps issuers need to take before issuing a green bond. So I know you talked about building a green bond framework, uh, and I told you I want to discuss this in a bit more details. Uh, can you talk about what this is and how issuers can go about building their own? Absolutely. We we had Scotia, our, our main banker, help us with this. And, and we learned through this process that there is a pretty standardized approach, certainly in the real estate industry, to establishing the framework. So we, we almost took this, a standard framework and adapted it to our needs. And... In doing that, part of the process is getting an opinion made or, or conducted on your framework. So once we set up our framework, we ran it by Scotia, they helped us to refine it. And then we selected a third party, which is called Sustainalytics, to provide an opinion. And what they provide an opinion on is that what our approach is, is in line with what the green financing framework mandate would be. And the reason that we picked Sustainalytics, because there are a few different companies to pick from, is that they are the most reputable, the largest, and they're used by most of the large issuers. So it made sense to us to engage with them 
certainly for our inaugural green financing framework. And the framework can be used for any type of green financing. We just happen to use it for our inaugural bond, but it can also be used for construction financing, for example. So Cecilia, in terms of the company providing the second opinion, um, that being Sustainalytics, was there a material cost involved with that? No, it's it's a nominal cost and it's really almost a one-time cost. Once you've established the framework, Sustainalytics will provide the opinion just on the framework. So unless you make changes to the framework, you don't need to engage Sustainalytics again. Okay. Okay. Good. Good to know. And in terms of you know who's gonna who's gonna audit this and look at um, if your use of proceeds were actually um, what you said your use of proceeds were going to be. Sure. So we're going to engage our the auditors of our financial statements. So Deloitte, in our case, to provide an opinion at the end of each fiscal year. And, and their opinion will be on whether our use of proceeds ended up being consistent with our framework. So I believe you can actually also engage Sustainalytics for that or any of the any of the other audit firms, PwC, Ernst & Young. We decided to go with Deloitte because they're obviously very familiar with our business. Um, and that would be something that we would include in our either our financial statements or, or our MD&A. We're still working through those details. Right. So I was going to ask you about kind of what your communication plan was uh, in terms of reporting uh, that kind of post issuance. So I know that Deloitte will be uh, likely uh, discussing that in your financials. Do you have any other plans in terms of updating the street or kind of best practices as uh, how to update the street on, for example, the use of proceeds? Well, our framework actually included the ability to retroactively apply um, up to 600 million 36 months back. And so when we look at what we've been investing into qualifying projects over the last three years, we've actually invested more than 600 million. So I've, I think we're in a position where at the end of 2021, the Deloitte audit will be to confirm that we have already retroactively applied those proceeds in the last 36 months. And uh, if I had to guess, I think there will be a part in our MDNA because it's certainly something that management is very much focused on. And then we'll follow whatever the auditing standards are in terms of providing disclosure as well in our financial statements. Right, right. Thank you for that. And that, I think that makes sense. Um, finally, I just want to open it up to both of you to share some final advice or resources for issuers wanting to issue a green bond. I'm happy to. I mean, I think I think what's important is to make sure that your framework is consistent with your overall corporate values. If you if you try to, you know, let's say, you know, fit a round peg into a square hole, it's not going to it's just not going to work. Investors are very sophisticated and they know when something aligns with, you know, corporate activities and when something is um you know, what management is truly committed to. So I would just say, I would just advise to, you know, follow best practices of what other issuers have done, but also, you know, make sure that you're, that you're being true to your corporate values in doing so. And, and for my part, I will add, um, if you issue bonds, list them on TSX, um, 
it will you know you'll have more visibility as i said before so feel free to contact you know listed issuer services your your the senior manager that you normally deal with or one of the directors excellent thank you uh, for that advice and those additional resources cecilia and valerie um, thank you so much for your time today uh, i very much enjoyed our discussion and thank you to our listeners for tuning in thank you thank you thank you